Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast program. My name is Jeff, and with me today, as usual, is Brian. Good morning, Brian. How are you doing? Hey, Jeff. Doing well. Looking forward to continuing this study on focused prayer. Yeah, exactly. So we're uh, doing part two today. If you didn't hear the previous podcast on uh, Focus Prayer Part 1, would certainly encourage you to go back and review that podcast. Basically, we're kind of giving folks a lot of things to think about in terms of their prayer life, and more specifically in terms of what they can pray for. Part 1, we talked about you know prayer in general and a, a fair number of foundational things, including what is prayer, who is it for, in terms of uh, faithful, repentant Christians, who is it to, God the Father. Uh, it should be something that's routine. We talked about a number, number of other aspects with prayer. Uh, but then we noted the importance of you know understanding different things we can pray for. Uh, we paused and talked about several notable examples in the Old Testament and New Testament of people who had you know prayer as a, as a critical part of their life. We notice uh, prayer has as a goal for us, you know, should be things like you know not only a conversation, if you will, with God, but to strengthen us, to give us peace, to give us you know forgiveness of our sins. But then often we sometimes you know fall into a rut or our prayers sometimes become you know, superficial, or we just have a challenge in terms of thinking of things to pray about. So in part one, we talked about some scriptures that indicate that in general, there's four categories of things we can include in our prayers, that of praise, giving thanks, making requests for ourselves, and making requests for others. And in part one, we pretty much went through the category of praise, praising God for his natural creation, and praising him for what's recorded about him in the Old and New Testaments. So today, Brian, we're going to shift gears and talk about the second, third, and fourth categories, that of giving thanks and making requests for ourselves and for others. But before we dive into that, do you have any other uh, introductory comments? Yeah, and we'll also will take some time and answer a few questions on it. And as we also mentioned in the first podcast, if you had a chance to listen to that, uh, you know, take some time as we go through these different categories and pause the podcast if that works best for you. Take notes as you go along and then think about those things that we've discussed, whether it's some of the prayers that we've referenced that you can look at as examples, or what we're hoping you'll do also is just write down you know, some very specific personal things that you yourself should be praying about, and then reflect on those things. And then hopefully that list can be a reference for you going forward so that as you think or, you know, get to a point where you're like, well, what should I be praying about today? Or what do I want to pray about in this prayer? You can go back to those notes and just take a look at some of the ideas that you came up with based on what you've heard that you feel would be good to pray about. So, Jeff, we can always use reminders, right? Because we were forgetful people, and sometimes it's good just to kind of spark our thoughts. Oh, yes, you know, I should just praise God, and I should be grateful for all that He's done, and all those kinds of things. Certainly. Uh, well, and, you know, that can also kind of give your prayers a sense of, I guess, structure, if you will, where we're not trying on the fly to try and think of things off the top of our heads, but, you know, having done some study and maybe even having the list in front of us. You know, as, as we're trying to remember, oh, that's right, I need to pray about this person or this situation or praise God for this, or I can also praise him for that, et cetera. So as, a, as you said, a, a good reference aid. So that kind of takes us to category number two, that of giving thanks. And this is going to be one of those large categories, a lot of things that we can be thankful for. In fact, there's a song that we sing, and I don't know if other religious groups, you know, sing it as well. Uh, the title of the song is Count Your Blessings. It's a very popular hymn, at least as far as I'm aware of, that I just want to read just very, very quickly. Uh, four verses and then the refrain. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? 
Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly. And you'll be singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy. Your reward in heaven, nor your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. And then finally, the refrain, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God hath done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God hath done. So I just thought I'd add that, you know, it's it's not, certainly not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it certainly does, you know, express sentiments that are inspired, you know, from the scriptures. Speaking of which, so from the scriptures, here are some things, some thoughts. Psalms chapter 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? Or as expressed over in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, give thank or giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, how about Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15? Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, in contrast to that, we can see Romans chapter 1, verse 21, referring to those who should have known about God, but chose not to. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So, a lot of scriptures and many more that we could multiply about having a grateful, thankful attitude and having that attitude express itself in prayer to God, thanking him for all of his blessings. Now, let's be a little bit more specific. What kinds of blessings? Well, let's first of all talk in terms of physical blessings. And that reminds me of a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning roughly verse 11. Uh, and I will kind of abbreviate the passage since it's kind of a, a lengthy reading. Beware, and this is, of course, Moses addressing the children of Israel. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses, and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, then you will say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So with that as kind of a backdrop, let's just kind of pause here for a moment and think about and offer up several things that we can give God thanks for. Especially things because they're common or they're always around that we can easily take them for granted. For example, thanking God for our spouse our family, our food, clothing, or shelter. How about our job or whatever way we have of receiving income? If we're a farmer, rain and fruitful seasons, Acts chapter 14, verse 17. How about things through chemistry and physics and the inventiveness of science and engineers, electricity, electronics, car, Plumbing, you know, 
heating, etc. How about thanks for the wonders of our body and their ability to be healthy or to repair themselves when injured or our senses, you know, vision and taste, our ability to walk, our ability to talk, to think, etc. Medicines, diagnostic tests, you know, doctors and nurses. If we happen to live at a time and in a country that is relatively stable, how about giving thanks for economic stability and or political stability or the benefits that come from a stable government or law enforcement that pursues crime and criminals, fire protection and firefighters, first responders, etc. A lot of things and many, many others that we can give thanks for as physical blessings to us that ultimately go all the way back to God and the provisions that he's made for the planet, for nature, for humanity, etc. Brian, anything you want to add there? Yeah, there is many physical things that, as you mentioned, that we should thank God for. And, you know, we talked in the first podcast, we were using the term taking for granted, right? As you kind of said here as well. And that is, it's so easy just to assume because of what I've done and my knowledge and my talents and my abilities, I've been able to do all these great things or have all these physical possessions. The reality is that God gave us those things, right? As you pointed out, it's not something that we should take pride in because ultimately through God's creation, through the intellect he's given us, the ability to learn, and even some gifts that he's given us as far as talents and abilities, we're able to once again obtain, be gifted these physical blessings. So yeah, good thoughts. We should certainly keep those in mind. You know, we also, when we think about spiritual blessings, which probably you know, I guess we don't necessarily need to rank these, but these are going to be very important to the Christian because, you know, we are spiritual beings living spiritual lives. And ultimately, as the scriptures tell us, when we die, we can't take any of these physical things with us. It will be how we've lived spiritually that will matter. And so we certainly should give thanks to God for all of the spiritual blessings that we have. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 3, it talks about Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So through Christ Jesus, through his death on the cross, through the truth that he and the Holy Spirit revealed, we have everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always and again, I will say rejoice. We have many reasons to rejoice for these spiritual blessings. Even when we face difficult times, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And so that can be one that might be difficult for us to think about. Sometimes people have this misconception that, you know, if I'm faithful to God, He's going to prevent any bad thing from ever happening to me. The Bible doesn't promise that. In fact, the Bible says... If you're a Christian, for instance, you will suffer persecution. But also we learn this wonderful lesson from the scriptures that when we fall into these trials, sometimes of our own doing, sometimes because of time and chance, our faith is tested, our patience is tested, we are tested, and ultimately when we endure, we become more equipped to deal with those in the future. So it makes us stronger. And we see that in the physical world where, you know, if you exercise and you literally tear muscle and when it repairs, it becomes stronger. So through that stress, if you will, you become stronger. How about all the spiritual tools that God has given us to live our lives? You know, we recently uh, had a podcast with Alan Hitchin on the whole armor of God. And we're told over in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And it encourages us, because that's true, because we have these spiritual battles, 
that we are to verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So in that podcast, you know, we talk about these tools, this armor that God has given us, these weapons that God has given us to be able to stand against these, you know, spiritual hosts of wickedness, if you will. And so, you know, once again, going back to this idea of being easily taken for granted, let's think about some additional things that we might easily take for granted. One is that, you know, Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. The fact that we are forgiven if we are obedient to God's will. Uh, How about the fact that God has given us His Bible and has preserved it for over 2,000 years to enable us to understand what he would have us to do and to once again have these spiritual tools that he's given us. How about all the study aids that we have available that men throughout the time have taken to translate from other languages that allow us to understand words more deeply, like in the original Hebrew and Greek? Wonderful tools at our disposal. How about the freedom to assemble? And not everyone listening to this podcast may have that as we do in the United States, but there are also many countries where you can choose to worship whomever you would like. And freedom, we should never take that for granted to be able to worship. And if you do not have that freedom, are you still willing to do so? And are you thankful for the opportunity to worship God? How about your local congregation, your local church, fellow Christians that you can edify and that can edify you? And that you as a congregation, as a body of Christians, can do God's work. A prayer, what we're talking about here, just blessing that God has given us, that he has allowed us to approach him and ask him for things, praise him for things, and so forth. And then as we talked about, you know, that spiritual weaponry, right? Because the devil is walking about, as we're told, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But God has given us tremendous power over Satan. God has promised that we will never be tempted above what we are able. So hopefully we don't take these things for granted, but that we understand them. And more importantly, we take time to thank God for these things in our prayer. You know, over in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13, you know, it talks about that we should rejoice to the extent that we partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And it goes on in verse 14 to talk about, you know, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So have you ever thanked God for the trials and tribulations that you've gone through, that you've been able to endure, that have made you stronger? So whether it's economic things that are difficult, you're having hard times there, sickness, trials, persecution, loss of a loved one. Are you thanking God for once again being able to go to him when you have these difficulties, but more importantly, being able to endure this so you become stronger? So anyhow, much more that can be said there. We do have a section on our website under T for thankfulness that also kind of outlines some of these things. So just a few thoughts, uh, Jeff, on some of the spiritual blessings that we should be thankful Ren, that last little bit that you were referring to from First uh, Peter 4, probably of, of all the things you mentioned, is the most challenging. I mean, it's one thing to thank God for all of the wonderful physical blessings that's been given to us, for all the wonderful spiritual blessings that have been given to us. But part of those blessings includes persecution and or trials, economic times, sickness, loss of a loved one, etc. And the mindset, if you will, that, that we should have, that we can thank God in the middle of these kind of very negative things might be kind of a challenge. It certainly is, is for me and probably is for our listeners as well. Yeah. That we can, you know, thank God for being sick. Well, what? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense, right? As an example. But knowing that we can take, if you will, God's perspective on things and knowing that these are opportunities for us to show our faith in God or opportunities for him to show us the wonders of his creation, the amazing healing power of the human body, 
you know, the inventiveness of doctors and those who make medicines, etc., that even in the middle of some very, very negative, bad situations, we can still thank God because we have that unique perspective. I mean, you know, we can see you know, the, the phrase we often sometimes use, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. We can see past the immediate pain and anguish and turmoil and loss, etc., and still thank God for the kind of God he is and the ultimate benefit that we can receive from going through these kinds of trials. In fact, I'm even reminded of Job. I think it's near the end of chapter one, if I remember right, where despite having, you know, suffered the loss of all of his flocks and herds and economic wealth, having suffered the loss of all of his children, I think the final expression of his, you know, faith and confidence of God was, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord, even in the midst of such anguish. So I thought that's, you know, being thankful for things that normally we wouldn't be thankful for is something else that, you know, the, the scriptures can encourage us to do. Yeah, and you're so right. You know, perspective is critical because, and one thing I've always loved about the Bible is you can read about different principles and maybe it's counterintuitive, or maybe you're like, ah, I don't know if I believe that. But as we live our life and we apply those principles, we see that what the Bible says is true. So that when we go through these difficult times and a year from now we go through something very similar, we say, wow, you know what? This I'm able to deal with this. I know now how I should approach this, and it works. So it's just wonderful uh, when we see the truth actually <laughs> play out, if you will, as the Bible says it will. Well, and as we said at the beginning of this section, you know, again, the second of the four main categories, there's a lot here. And, and certainly, as we've said before, we'll continue to say that we would encourage our, our listeners to pause and, you know, ponder, you know, maybe five or 10 minutes. Just think about all the different things that you can be thankful for physically, spiritually, positive things as well as negative things. You ready to take us to the third section? Yeah, third section is making requests for ourselves. And I think, you know, this is something we're all used to, right? This is probably the most common part of prayer. Uh, not that it necessarily should be, but, you know, okay, so we make requests for ourselves, which is wholly appropriate. And there are several scriptures that kind of tee up some thoughts about this. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, in that section, he talks about, you know, worrying and how it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in the things of our life specifically around dress and eating and, and those kinds of things, which frankly are kind of minimal or should be, you know, in the larger context of our life. But, you know, Jesus says here in, in part of this section, uh, Matthew 6, 25 through 34, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Such a wonderful point, especially when we're younger. We can get really wrapped up in, hey, how do I look when I'm going out? And I'm not saying we should just, you know, randomly dress ourselves, but we can become obsessed with that kind of thing. Same with what we eat. He goes on later on to say in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, you know, that's such a wonderful section, especially because he also makes the point of, you know, God takes care of the birds of the air and the, the lilies in the field, and are you not much more important than them? So in other words, have trust, have confidence that God cares about you, and don't worry about these things or become focused on them, but instead focus on seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, those things will take care of themselves. Just focus on doing what's right. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, Jesus says, "'If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children,' How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So God does want us to ask Him for these things. Yes, He knows who we are. He knows everything about our lives. But Jesus makes it very clear that God wants us to be conscientious enough to ask Him for these things and to make sure we're asking for appropriate things. We see over in Philippians chapter 4, we looked at this in our first podcast where it talked about you know, being anxious for nothing, but let your requests be made known to God. That's one of the benefits and one of the purposes of prayer. And then in Luke chapter 18, really nice section there about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And this tax collector was very ashamed of his sin, 
and wouldn't so much as even raise his eyes. It says he smote his breast. He wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but instead said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So when we think about making requests, certainly one of those requests is to ask God to forgive us. But before we ask him to forgive us, we want to acknowledge that we're sinners, that we have sinned. And so if we have a situation where you're going throughout the day, maybe you've said something to someone or whatever the sin might have been, take time, go find a quiet place and immediately repent of that sin. Recognize that you're a sin and ask for it. So when we think about some other elements of asking requests for ourselves or making requests for ourselves, think about anything that you can thank God for. So like, for instance, your daily bread, don't take for granted the food that you have every day. There are plenty of people around the world that are lucky to get one meal. And so, you know, if you want to write down some passages, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11, and when you think about healing, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8, just all these physical things, right, that we can thank God for. How about the spiritual? Asking God for peace when we're anxious, as we saw in Philippians chapter 4, where Maybe we just have some concerns about what's going on in the world, what's going on with our family. Maybe it causes some worry. So, you know, look at 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. In fact, you could even go to verse 8, you know, where it talks about things to think about that are pure and lovely and just and those kinds of things. How about deliverance from evil, Luke 11, verse 4? How about the strength to resist temptation and endure trials? Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, right? Where God promises to never allow us to be tempted above what we're able. Uh, Forgiveness, Psalm 51. That Psalm of David we referred to in the first podcast, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Luke chapter 18, verse 13. 1 John 1, 9 talks about if we confess our sins, God is just and will forgive us. That's a wonderful promise that God gave us. But notice it's conditional. It says if we confess our sins. So we always have to be conscious of them and then ask God. And so, you know, we might be struggling with very specific sins that we just can't seem to get rid of in our life. Pray to God about those specific things. As you study the scriptures, ask him for wisdom to help endure those and overcome those. Having the type of humility that we looked at from this tax collector, you know, saying, I'm ultimately unworthy because I'm a sinner. Thank you, Lord, for being willing to forgive me and so forth. Wisdom. You know, James chapter 1 and verse 5, if we do our part and we're willing to study God's word, we absolutely, as James tells us, the Holy Spirit through James, that it's appropriate for us to pray for wisdom. And God said he will give it to us. It's a promise. And then boldness in in passages like Acts chapter 4, verse 29. One thing that we see from the apostles and from various disciples of Christ, they had to demonstrate a lot of boldness. They went through a lot of persecution you know, the Apostle Paul and others, their lives were threatened. They were run out of town, if you will. They were beaten. We may not have to go through all that, but maybe we do, right? So we can pray for boldness not to stop talking about the Lord, not to stop letting our light shine, but instead be very courageous and stand. So along this line, you know, if you look at the section on repentance on our website under topics, letter R for repentance and F for forgiveness, Uh, You could have some other things. So, Jeff, this is another one of those categories where there's a whole lot we can ask for, right? It's about kind of understanding what's appropriate and not making it sort of a selfish request. Well, and I think that's kind of a a key thing. Because on on the one hand, you know, there's a lot of things that we can request from God, you know, of, of a physical nature. And yet we don't want to go to the extreme, as described in James chapter 4, verse 3 roughly where you know james is referring to people that you know people that are you know lusting and coveting and fighting and warring with one another and even they ask you know via their prayers uh, verse 3 you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures so on the one hand you know, being thankful for these things asking god for these things perfectly legitimate and yet at the same time it's not all about us and all about our possessions and oh lord won't you buy me a new car you know (laughs) anything along those lines i'm just not happy with my existing you know three-year-old car you know buy me buy me a new car 
to be. I mean, and we laugh, but, you know, we can kind of fall into that, you know, selfish, it's all about us kind of uh, attitude, which is, you know, certainly not uh, not good for. Which takes us to the next section or the fourth, if you will, category, you know, getting off of ourselves uh, and asking just for ourselves and thinking about others or, or interceding for others. And certainly a fair number of scriptures that apply to this aspect of what we can pray for, starting off with Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. So, you know, Paul was looking for prayers of others on his behalf. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, praying always in all prayer and supplication, watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So Paul praying for the Philippians. First Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. First John chapter 5, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother sending a prayer which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will, being God, give him life for those who commit a sin not leading unto death. So praying for uh, others. So certainly we have these and other scriptures that would indicate that a, a significant portion of, of our prayers should be devoted to thinking about others, their situations that they're going through, uh, and going to God you know, in our prayers on their behalf. And to be a little bit more specific, you know, here's, here's kind of a, a list of different people that we can pray for, especially those we might take for granted or overlook. For instance, interceding or making prayer requests for immediate members of our family you know thinking about each member of our family by name and thinking about what their specific need is either in our immediate family or our extended physical family likewise how about our immediate spiritual family you know those at our local congregation you know, if you went down through the, let's just say the directory or the list of, you know, members of, the, of your local congregation, listed every single one and say, okay, now what can I pray f for them? Which implies I have some insight and knowledge about their situations or their trials or things they need help with, you know, by name. If your congregation happens to be blessed and to the point of being able to support a preacher, for instance, or preachers elsewhere outside of your local congregation? How about listing them by name and offering prayers on behalf of them? Or preachers and teachers in general, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, uh, Colossians 4, verses 2 and 3, or 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 and 2. Or even beyond that, how about just Christians in general around your country or Christians around the world? And some of, in some situations, suffering you know, economic hardship or medical pandemic-related problems and or governmental turmoil, if they're in a war zone, as an example, or they're being persecuted. Uh, how about praying for those you know in terms of your friends, co-workers, neighbors, or as First Timothy chapter 2 said, how about praying for the president? or the king, or those in authority, governors, mayors, etc. Certainly, they can have a very influential, uh, or a lot of influence on the kind of uh, lives that, that we live, in terms of either being supportive of, you know, law and order, or supportive of worship, or the converse of you know, lawlessness or supporting lawlessness or supporting persecution, etc. So praying for those in positions of authority. How about praying for sinners? Romans chapter 10, verse 1. How about, and this is, uh, Brian, this is where things get really hard. How about praying for our enemies? Praying for those who persecute us. Yeah, that's another one that's hard to grasp at first, but it makes sense when Jesus explains 
Well, exactly. I mean, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45, you know, highlight the, you know, need to do that, even though it runs, I'll say, naturally contrary to our normal attitude. I mean, if someone is doing something to harm us or, or uh, persecute us or call us bad names or, you know, try to steal our job from us, whatever, you know, our natural tendency is to reach out in, you know, retribution and revenge. But that's not how God wants us to act. In fact, uh, again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, Brian, you know, there's a whole category <laughs> that a lot of people may never have even thought about, you know, praying for our enemies. Yeah, sure is. Now, we might ask, okay, praying for people or interceding for people, okay, what kinds of things? You know, I've got a list of names <laughs> of people. What can I, you know, pray for on their behalf? Well, first of all, think of everything we've talked about so far. You know, things that we can give thanks for, things that we're blessed with physically, things we're blessed with spiritually. Think of all the things that you ask God for personally. Either a physical thing, spiritual thing, etc. All of that, all of that you can turn around and now begin to apply to all the people on your list. Whether it's something physical, like Third uh, John 2 says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Certainly we can intervene with prayers offered if a person is going through sickness, conflict, uh, etc. But there's also, you know, spiritual kinds of things like forgiveness, uh, Acts 8, verse 22. And in fact, I think even uh, Jesus on the cross, you know, petitioned his father to forgive those who were crucifying him. Of course, that would also depend on their repenting, of course, when you know, that's kind of understood. Uh, how about uh, spiritual growth of the fellow Christians on your list? Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, as well as Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Christians who are being persecuted. Certainly we can pray for governmental leaders, as we mentioned in a previous scripture, about that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life. Praying for the lost, you know, opportunities for you know, personal evangelism, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Just a number of different things, both physically and spiritually, that we can go to God. You know, not only on our own behalf, but on behalf of all those around us that, that we may know of. Brian, any uh, closing thoughts before we switch gears? Yeah, you know, the, this is, as you mentioned, there are so many passages that talk about it. And that's another wonderful aspect of the truth is that there's just so much the Bible gives us. And, you know, another one that came to my mind while you were going through this is James chapter 5 and verse 16, which kind of covers both elements of asking for prayers of ourselves and for others. And it says here, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So, you know, the very first passage you mentioned over in Romans chapter 15, where Paul asks that, remember me in your prayers. This can be one that, that at times can be difficult, like asking others to pray for us where maybe because of pride, we're like, I, I don't have any needs or I don't want to ask others to pray for me. But we see many examples where Paul did that, right? And for those of you that belong to a congregation, it may not be unusual for someone to come forward and say, hey, you know what? I'm struggling. Would you please pray for me? That's very appropriate, right? And so as it mentions here, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or men or women, right, avails much. God hears our prayers on behalf of others. So I appreciate these points because it's exactly what we should be doing. So, so far, we've identified, again, four main categories of things we can pray for. And hopefully our listeners have uh, paused at different points and actually taken the time when the material's fresh in your head. Pat a paper and a pencil and a pen and you know, jot all these things out. And then you'll rejoin us, so to speak. So now we're kind of entering the final phase of our podcast, uh, part two. 
where we, as we often like to do, uh, highlight questions that have been submitted to the website via the Ask a Question button uh, on the website. And in this particular case, questions related to what we can pray for or what we shouldn't pray for. So, Brian, looks like you get the first one from Betty. Uh, she writes in, scriptural, can we pray against evil people? It's a very good question and maybe not one that we think about very often, right? You know, praying against evil people. And is it scriptural? Well, the Bible teaches us, and we kind of touched on this where you mentioned, Jeff, you know, Jesus talking about praying for your enemies and doing good and so forth. But the Bible teaches us that we should actually pray for evil people or those whom we may be considered to be our enemies. And, you know, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, you know, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, right? You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. So we read that earlier, but you know what's interesting is that point that Jesus makes now in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you do, if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? And when you think about, why is he talking about tax collectors? Well, they were kind of considered to be evil because a lot of them took advantage of people when they were collecting tax and would keep back some of it for themselves. So they were just considered evil. And that didn't mean they all were, right? Matthew was a tax collector. He was very he was righteous and was why Jesus chose him to be an apostle. But it mentions here, you know, verse 47, if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So now, this is focusing on those that might be doing evil things to you or that you might consider to be enemies. If you think about just evil people as in evil people in the world, maybe dictators, maybe you know those that are persecuting just people in general, let alone Christians in other countries. Well, you know, we can certainly and should certainly refute anything ungodly and inaccurate that others may say. You know, it's it's just standing for the truth. You know, we can also pray that whether it's their false doctrines that they're teaching, if they're false teachers, or the evil deeds that they're doing, you know, are we can pray that they might be rejected and we can certainly warn others. You know, Colossians 2.8 talks about, you know, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. So once again, whether we're talking about false teachers that are doing damage to specific people or churches or countries or just evil people, who sometimes evil deeds are even glorified, we can speak against that. And we can certainly pray that they'll be defeated in the sense that their evil will not continue to be perpetuated. But ultimately, we should pray that they will turn to the Lord. I hope that answers a question. You know, on our website, we have a nice section on love where it talks about this element of love that Jesus is mentioning and that element of our attitude. So under our topic section, the letter L, and then you can scroll to the section on love. Jeff, any thoughts on this? No, I appreciate you kind of tackling both sides of that, you know, in terms of hating the sin, but loving the sinner, you know, hating the evil things that people do, but still expressing, you know, concern, as you said, that they would eventually, you know, repent uh, and come to, you know, a knowledge of the truth. And certainly that would apply whether it's just quote unquote normal people, or maybe even those in positions of authority. You know, we talk about governors, presidents, dictators, you know, et cetera. And having, you know, you know some scriptures talking about, you know, honoring or, or showing respect to people in authority or to the office that they occupy. And yet at the same time, you know, not condoning their evil deeds. So again, in some ways it kind of comes back to that saying I said a few moments ago about, you know, hating, hating the sin, but still trying to love the sinner. That's right. So the next question for you, Jeff, comes from Linda, and she asks, will God send people to heaven that are prayed over after they are dead? Now, in this particular question, I guess I'm, I want to make the assumption that these people, while they were alive, were not really as good as they should have been. 
or didn't become a Christian, or they were a Christian and they'd fallen away, or unrepented sin, etc. Uh, and Linda's kind of wondering, so, you know, during the funeral, or can I go to their, their grave site, and, or whatever, and offer a prayer to God, and, and God will save them, you know, after they've died. Now, certainly there are some religious groups that do teach some aspect of that, most notably the Roman Catholic Church, I believe. At least they used to teach the concept of purgatory and that the prayers of the living can have an impact on the, the dead, if you will, who are in purgatory. I've also heard some prayers being offered, and I'm not exactly certain what for, prayers for the dead or the state of the dead uh, by the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Lutherans, the Anglicans, and, and the Methodists, and maybe others. But I guess the real question is, what do the scriptures say about saying a prayer for the dead and having a, like a, a request, right? Intercession for the dead and having God, you know, take those prayers into consideration or what's going on with with the dead, uh, either in Hades or, you know, in the ultimate judgment with heaven and hell in the day of judgment. Well, bottom line is the scriptures are silent regarding praying for the dead. The scriptures are silent regarding purgatory. They're silent regarding a second chance after death. Uh, they're silent regarding any concept of, you know, reincarnation or any other kind of, you know, related concept. In fact, you kind of wrap it all, can wrap it all up under Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. This is, and just as it is destined for people to die once, and after this comes judgment. In fact, we're given some very uh, interesting insight into the afterlife, if you will, in Luke chapter 16. That basically shows after death, the, uh, you know, the body goes to, you know, the grave or corruption or, or whatever, physical body. But there's a spiritual essence or element of man, we sometimes call it the spirit or, or the soul, that goes to an existence called Hades. And there's evidently some kind of judgment already present in Hades and a separation into two conditions with a quote-unquote impassable divider between them. In fact, if you want to turn over to uh, Luke chapter 16, you know, kind of beginning down with roughly verse 22, talks about the death of the poor man going, and after that, uh, going to uh, Hades, particularly the part with Abraham, uh, sometimes called Abraham's bosom, death of the rich man. And likewise, he's also in Hades, but now he's in torments, kind of a different section, if you will, seeing Abraham and Lazarus, you know, far off. Skip down to roughly verse 26, which I think is insightful. After a conversation between the rich man and Abraham, Abraham says, besides all of this, you know, the, the two separate sections, there is between us and you a great chasm that has been set. So that those who want to come over from here to you will not be able, nor will people cross over from there to us. So uh, there is no, evidently within that uh, section, no, no provisions for people on the earth praying for their lost loved ones, you know, suffering in Hades that would allow them to switch over to the good side of Hades, uh, as an example. So basically, you know, the scriptures are silent about that being something we can pray for. Now, I might mention, just as a, for completeness, there is a passage in a book that is sometimes associated with the Bible that talks about this. And I'm specifically referring to 2 Maccabees, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 44 where it says, for if he had not hoped that they that were slain and should have risen again, it had been superfluous and vain to pray for the dead. So 2 Maccabees refers to, you know, praying for the dead. Okay. Uh, in fact, in that particular context, I guess some people had committed the sin of idolatry and had been slain. And evidently, Judas Maccabeus had gathered money, sent it to Jerusalem as a sin offering for those who had died in hope that they would be forgiven for their sin after they died. But the key point is, simply speaking, in contrast to the rest of the scriptures, that's false doctrine. Second Maccabees is part of what is sometimes called the Apocrypha, a collection of books of doubtful origin. 
although it's accepted by Catholics, it's rejected by most other religious groups and is not part of the true Bible. So there is a reference, but we can't take it as scripture, basically, you know, bottom line. And for more on that, you can see A for Apocrypha. So there you go. Prayer for the dead. Nope. Not something that we can confidently approach God and expect any sort of a positive answer to. Brian, any thoughts on that before uh, we go to the next question? Yeah, it's kind of interesting how over the years, as you touched on with the Roman Church, Lutheran, Methodist, you know, this idea of praying for the dead, and even, you know, baptism for the dead. I was thinking of the Mormon religion, and, you know, they have this, one of their creeds is called Doctrines and Covenants, where, you know, they teach that you can be baptized for the dead. So, hey, if they're wicked, you can still help them to be saved. As you pointed out, we know that cannot be true, right? And as you touched on Luke 16, you know, talks about your destiny's fixed. And of course, you know, you, each person based on their own faith has to make the decision to repent and be baptized and so forth. So it's not something that somebody can do on your behalf. And I think or wonder if some of these came about because to your earlier point, you know, if, if you know somebody that was not a Christian or was not faithful based on your understanding of their life, you might want to see if you could help them out, especially if it's a family member. But the Bible just does not teach that. In fact, quite the opposite, right? Second Corinthians 5.10, that we will all stand before God to give an account of what we have done, right? So those are passages that are very clear on that subject. Yeah, good point. Okay, so third question here for you comes from Elizabeth. She asks, can we ask prayers for spiritual strength? I never, ever thought that was wrong. But now I am told we cannot ask for spiritual strength. And so she's asking about that as well as scripture. So Brian, uh, what would you say to that? It's interesting, isn't it? That somebody would have taught her that, that we're not to ask for spiritual strength. And it would be interesting if she gave us a little more info on that, but it's not a big deal. She's just wondering, right? Do you have scriptures that say we should be asking for spiritual strength? And fortunately, there are many. So definitely we should pray for spiritual strength. And we you know, have a, just a couple of examples of many where, for instance, in a prayer from David that we can find in Psalm 86 and verse 16, he says, Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Uh, we see in a song that David wrote to the Lord in Psalm 68 and verse 34, where he says, Oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. So, you know, if God is willing to give us strength, then certainly, you know, it's appropriate to ask for it. Now, it's important that we also understand that we have to do our part, right, by strengthening ourselves through the word. And we see that taught in many places. For instance, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 5, we are told a wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. And Jesus taught this same principle in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, where he tells us, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So that like we were talking about earlier, when you have trials and tribulations and difficulties, that spiritual foundation will allow you to remain strong and not crumble. So, you know, it'd be nice to ask Elizabeth, you know, if she could tell us, you know, what the person who told her that we shouldn't ask for spiritual strength was basing that on. But ultimately, I would just encourage our listeners, if somebody ever brings up something that doesn't sound quite right, and in fact is contrary to the scripture, go back to them and say, what are you basing your statement on? Like in this case, to not ask for spiritual strength. And you know, ask them to give you the book, chapter, and verse where that can be found in the Bible. And it's quite possible that they may just be misunderstanding what the Bible teaches. Or it may be that they are just teaching something that they believe that can't be backed by Scripture. So ultimately, you know, we want to make sure that uh, we're following God's Word and we follow those principles. Jeff? Well, in fact, I think the, the last point you made, I think, is probably one of the uh, key takeaways. Certainly that we would want to emphasize for our listeners, which we kind of try to do with, with each of our podcasts. And that is you got to go search the scriptures. I mean, over time, a lot of people have made a lot of claims about what God wants or what God says or what God requires, etc. And they just kind of throw it out there and say, well, God wants us to X or God does not want us to do Y or whatever. And I think as you've rightly pointed out, 
you know, one of the first questions should be, okay, uh, where do you read that? And, and try to at least find the context of what they think teaches what they're teaching. Because, you know, a lot of people will make a lot of claims that have absolutely no scripture at all, or they may make a claim based on some church teaching, based on some church council, or what they read in some church manual or book that doesn't, again, doesn't really have a scriptural basis. But if you can take them, or if they can take you back to a, you know, a book, a chapter, and a verse, then you can have a very profitable discussion about that context, definition of words, what other contexts have, and have a very profitable, you know, Bible study to hopefully come to some legitimate scriptural conclusion and be, be unified, you know, as a result. So, Brian, I think that takes us to our uh, last question. Yeah, one more that uh, we'll consider that's been submitted to the website from Brianna. And she said, I've believed in God my whole life. Last week, I just accepted God and Jesus into my life. I've prayed, read the Bible, and did a cleansing prayer to forgive all my sins, and I'm going to get baptized soon. I'm just basically wondering, will I be saved by God? It's kind of an interesting... uh, question there, isn't it? Right. And, you know, to be fair, I don't think I've ever heard of a quote-unquote cleansing prayer to forgive all my sins. But what I have heard uh, are situations where people will tell a non-Christian to pray to God for forgiveness, to become saved, to become a Christian. In fact, some people call that the sinner's prayer. I did a little bit of research online, and evidently there's a couple different formulas, if you will, or prayers that people have come up with. Uh, I went ahead and copied one down here. Let me read it. That says, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. And, you know, our listeners may have encountered other forms, if you will, of the sinner's prayer. But I think in some ways, the question kind of boils down is, can a non-Christian pray to God to become a Christian or pray to have their sins forgiven? And simply speaking, as we go through the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, the answer is no. That is not the function of prayer. Or that is not a function of prayer. Prayer does not do that. That's not something that you know you can pray for and expect God will respond to. And I know this is kind of contrary to the teaching of a lot of religious groups, but you just can't find that kind of prayer in the Bible, you know, given by a non-saved person in order to become saved. In fact, there's at least two examples where people were praying non-saved, non-Christians, whatever, we're praying, and they were still not saved. Most notably, Paul. In fact, if you look at the example of Paul's conversion, as recorded in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22, you know, after he witnessed Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and, and had gone into the city, you know, he had been like praying for three days, solid, In parallel with that, and I'm going to read a little bit briefly here from Acts chapter 22, verse 10, where the Lord on the road to Damascus had told him to get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told about everything that has been appointed for you to do. Verse 12, now a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing nearby, he said to me, of course, this conversation kind of went on, and then finally in verse 16, now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So three days of prayer didn't accomplish what getting up and being baptized and washing away his sins accomplished. Likewise, another example, we have Cornelius, uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. A certain man in Caesarea, Centurion, who was called the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, made many charitable contributions to the Jewish people, and prayed to God continually. But if you notice in in Acts chapter 11, verse 13, where it talks about where he, Cornelius, 
reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, send some men to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here and he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So even though Cornelius in chapter 10 was a devout man praying to God continually, he still had not been saved or was not saved. That did not save him. And in fact, the culminating act, if you will, uh, in this particular account of Cornelius's conversion, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse uh, 48, where Peter uh, commands him and his household, those who were you know, subject to the, the gospel message, if you will, to be baptized. Well, here again, prayer, sinner's prayer, not involved with becoming saved, baptism is. Now, basically, there are a lot of things associated with having one's sins initially forgiven, initially becoming saved, initially becoming a Christian. Certainly belief, John 8, verse 24, and Mark 16, 16, you know, belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you know, risen Savior, etc. Repentance is, you know, Luke chapter 13, verse 3, and Acts 17, verse 30. Continuing on, confession of Jesus as indeed the Son of God, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And baptism, immersion in water in order to have the forgiveness of sins. And we can see that easily in Acts 2, verses 38, Colossians 2, verse 12. And of course, remaining faithful, you know, once you are a Christian. But nowhere in there is the concept of praying the sinner's prayer as an alien taught uh, such that that prayer forgives sins of an alien. Now, certainly, Brian, I would be remiss if I said, as a faithful Christian, as we've already alluded to, yes, indeed, you can approach God in a repentant attitude, ask him to forgive you of the sins you have committed and repented of as a Christian. But as a non-Christian, no, that's going through that process is, is not what the Bible says. Any thoughts before we wrap it up for the day? Yeah, it's such a damaging doctrine, the belief only, or just, you know, confessing Jesus as your Lord. You think about like the Baptist church, for instance, that teaches baptism is to join the church, or some would say, you know, an outward showing of an inward feeling or something that you've already done. So yeah, what stood out to me is when she said, and I'm going to get baptized soon, right? Like, you know, I should do that, but it's not part of salvation. It's not part of the forgiveness of sins. Whereas you clearly pointed out, yes, it is necessary, absolutely critical as part of, and to have one's sins forgiven. So appreciate those. You know, there is a lot of material in these two podcasts that we went through talking about the importance of when we pray to, for it to be focused prayer, specifically for things that we should be praying about, and we, in essence, create our own list, if we will. Hopefully, as we've gone along, our listeners have made a list of different things that would help them to have that focused prayer. So, for instance, just a couple reminders to wrap this up. Prayer requires great spiritual and mental effort. If we are not willing to put in that effort, then our prayers can often be repetitious and shallow and those kinds of things. And so, you know, it can take a great deal of time and faith. It should. We should take it seriously and give it the due attention that it deserves. Uh, it requires introspection. You know, what about myself? What do I need to go to God for, maybe ask for forgiveness for, to help strengthen me on, those kinds of things. Uh, we need to keep our life pure at all times. We need to be humble. We need to have a thankful heart. We need to have an organized life, right, where we put some diligence into these things. Uh, we need to think about the unselfish concern for the needs of others. And so not just praying for ourselves, but really looking out for others' needs and what we can pray for about them. And then ultimately, you know, we have this special relationship. We might call it a community or fellowship, if you will with our God. So, you know, prayer requires us to think about these things. And then, you know, prayer offers to us in return these blessings from God that He has promised, uh, this close and living and personal relationship with God, uh, wisdom and spiritual growth. It allows us to grow stronger and stronger. Uh, ultimately, if we do those things that the Bible tells us we should be doing, we have this promise of a home in heaven. And as we read in Philippians chapter 4, we can have this peace of mind that surpasses all understanding when we pray to God and it comforts us. And so, you know, you might say when we pray, we walk with God and we thank God and we confess our sins. And so 
ultimately prayer is faith in action, right? It's a very important part of our faith. And so, Jeff, let me uh, give you an opportunity for any closing thoughts, uh, and then we'll point people back to a couple other resources on the website. No, Brian, I think you did a good job of summarizing it all because it is an absolutely critical aspect of a faithful Christian's life and something we should give diligence for and maybe even go through the effort, as we've been encouraging our listeners to do, of just making a list and using that list to organize your thoughts and to vary your prayers and to enrich your prayer life. That's right. And, you know, as we've been going along, we've pointed you back to our website several times, you know, biblequestions.org, and given you some sections that you can go to to take a look at some of the things that we talked about. Just a couple of others as we wrap up. If you go to the lessons section on our website, and you'll see that button at the very top of your browser, or if you're using a uh, mobile browser, you can just click on the three-line button, and you'll see a section there that says lessons. And then if you go down to one a subsection there, if you will, that says prayer, we have a self-assessment. And we actually had a previous podcast that kind of went through that assessment in detail, but certainly you can look there and it has a section about different things that you can pray about. Also under topics, P for prayer and T for thankfulness. So many articles and many previous questions that have been answered on prayer and thankfulness. So take some time, just read through these. Hopefully it'll spark your thought. And then as Jeff mentioned, hopefully you'll have a list now of things that when you sort of need reminders on, hey, things that you should pray about, you can look at the list. But then ultimately, if you ingrain these things enough in your life, you won't have to refer to a list, right? They'll just be sort of natural for you to think about these things. So appreciate your time and would ask that you give consideration to these principles. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.